Welcome to the IAB podcast. Welcome, and we're back with episode two of the IAB podcast, brought to you with the help of our sponsor, Spotify. I'm James Chandler, Chief Marketing Officer at the IAB, and for the next 20 minutes, we'll be talking about the most interesting and important things in digital advertising this week. In this, the second instalment of your fortnightly digital fix, we'll be debunking ads.tech's lesser-known cousin, ads.cert, in under two minutes, furnishing you with the insider view of the goings-on at the IAB this week, and giving you a genuine industry exclusive in our 10 quickfire questions with Ed Couchman from Facebook. And could it be possible that media agencies have lost their mojo? We mull over Rick Hurst's presentation from IAB Engage last October with an expert panel and get into the weeds of why agencies might be more important now than ever before. So, whether at this very moment you're caught up in the traffic and trains on your way into work or sat at your desk willing 5.30 to come even sooner, by the end of this episode, your digital advertising know-how will have been supercharged with insights from this week. At last year's Engage, Rick Hurst, CEO at Carry UK, and Dan Hagen, Carry's Chief Strategy Officer, took to the stage to outline their view on the future of media agencies. It was a brilliant presentation that provoked the Barbican audience to view media agencies differently, especially in the light of a year's worth of less than positive headlines focused on business models, transparency, and an endless stream of pitch alerts. At one point, Dan stood on stage in front of a forlorn-looking Tiger Woods on the screen behind him and suggested that media was suffering from the Tiger Syndrome. Like the golfer, media agencies seem to have lost their mojo. But Rick argued this was fundamentally wrong. Rick and Dan then went on to talk about the value and values of a modern media agency, using their work with Santander as a shining example of what good really looks like. So, have media agencies lost their mojo, and is media in general suffering from tiger syndrome? I'm joined by two guests who are perfectly placed to help unpick that very question. Here with me in this studio are Ruth Zorha, Head of Connections Planning at Mindshare UK, and Vicky Foster, Digital Commercial Director at Bauer. A very warm welcome to you both. Hello. Hello, thanks for the invite. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having us. So starting with you, Ruth, what do you think constitutes this idea of an agency's mojo? Is it talent? Is it skills, ideas, culture? What is it? I think it has to do with all of the above, right? Um, There is an element of the influence that media agencies can have, not only on a client's business, but also on the media landscape overall. There's an element of the privilege vantage point that they've held for decades now, being able to oversee the entire ecosystem, not just for a client, but also for entire verticals as well, and being able to develop the expertise through that. And then finally, being able to develop that expertise in detail through the latest innovation mm. by the mere partnerships that they have with media partners as well as technology partners, um, more so today, right? Mm. So so for me, it's, it's, it's a little bit of all of those things. And it was part of what attracted to me in the first place to move away from technology mm. pure into uh, the agency world. Yeah. And Vicky, like Ruth, you've sort of seen it from both sides, inside and outside. What do you make of this idea of, of a mojo that an agency might have? Yeah, so um, I worked at Mindshare for two years. Mm. So I've always worked on the sales side and it was really interesting to go and work for um, Mindshare in particular. I was head of display and mobile. I think for me, it's obviously very similar to what, what Ruth has already said. I mean, overall, it's around helping brands to connect with audiences. Mm. Um, and I think that does have to be a combination of bringing the people together, the skills, the technology. We obviously work in a really fast-paced environment. Yeah. 
So it's really about that agency being able to deliver on value to their client. And that has to be all of those those elements coming together. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you go back in history of time with agencies, it was very service-led. The legacy was in print and out of home and, and, and radio and all those kinds of things. It was the sort of master and servant thing. But media agencies now, Ruth, are a whole lot more than that, isn't it? Well, we have to be. Hmm. We have to be much more than that because the challenges that are being thrown at us by clients are far more complex. They demand not only a single skill set, but many different skill sets Mm. coming together to develop uh, as complex uh, a solution that can be then presented to the client in a simple way to be able to drive that change. Truly, when we are able to deliver that value is when we partner with our clients on a like for like, and we can act as that expert advisor and they trust us to do that. Mm. And we are honest with them and we push them and we are brave. And Many clients are entering that relationship with us. Many others aren't there yet, yeah. right? And it is our job to guide them through that process. And part of doing that successfully is to give them confidence in our expertise. And that comes with a lot of work as well. Mm. You know, when you start to look at, you know, those headlines that, that Rick was showing at Engage, you know, lots of the headlines are about transparency and trust. And, you know, do, do you think all media agencies are getting tarred with the same brush on this? Or is there, you know, every day you see it, there is genuine trust and that's where the best sort of partnerships with clients come from? Well, I think there is always a danger in in entering a a binary Mm. stereotype, right? It's things are either good or they are terrible. And I don't think that's ever the Mm. case, right? Uh, As human beings and agencies are still run by human beings, we have a spectrum of behaviours. And I think uh, for all of us, that behavior tends to be also defined in relationship to the partners that we work with. Uh, I remember being a, at a different conference and someone being quite pointy and saying, you know, clients have the agency that they deserve. Right. And in a way, that's actually true, because if you are not open and honest with your agency, mm. then the type of advice that an agency can give you is not going to be to the level that you need. And I think our job as media agency people is to ensure that our clients see that expert opinion in us, trust that expert opinion, know Mm. that we've done our due diligence in terms of preparing and understanding their business. So then they can give us the information that we need to do a great job. Yeah. And I think, sorry, just to comment on that, I think also it's not just about agencies. This is an industry responsibility, Absolutely. you know, Correct. that we all need to collaborate on and work together, including the clients. So mm. from a publisher position, you know, we also want to be able to build on all of that from brand safety, transparency in everything that we're doing. And I think it's really important that, you know, this is an industry challenge, not just an agency challenge or not just yeah. a client challenge. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think everything we hear, you know, we, you go out and talk to people, uh, you listen to people at town halls at events, you know, trust is consistently up there as one of the big ones, you know, with, you know, measurement and safety. But, you know, do I trust where I'm getting my news from? You know, mm-hmm. Do I trust how my agency are, are the business model they're using? With all of this technology and all of this complexity, we are still essentially humans talking to humans trying to reach humans and change behavior or sort of get them to look at things differently I guess. Mm -hmm. And I think that also kind of goes back to what we were just talking about and we both touched on it around talent and Mm. around people. Yeah absolutely. And actually from an ad you know from an agency perspective that's where I think you know a lot of the most value can be added is Mm. by attracting that talent and being able to motivate and keep hold of that talent as well. Mm. What do you think Vicky? I mean when I when I got into uh, media 
10 years ago, my peers were you know, going and doing this sort of media and communications mm. degree at Bournemouth yeah, and they yeah. would come in, a very obvious place to go. Mm. But I guess agencies, you know, even when you were at Mindshare, yeah, yeah. different types of people now. It's yeah. mathematicians, statisticians, all that kind of thing. So the skill set's changing. Yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, even, I mean, I was at Mindshare, well, I don't know, five years ago mm. and it was changing then, you know, it, we were looking for, for degrees in maths, in science, you mm. know, and it really has changed the kind of skill set now that is required by, by agencies and on the tech side from a programmatic point of view yeah. and what's required. But Ultimately, also, it's about the individual and it's about those people because if what mm. you put into it is what you get out of it. As uh, an advertiser, I guess, you can sort of go two routes, can't you? You can sort of, you know, try and face it on your own and, you know, make sense of all this this stuff. Or I guess that's where the, the USP of the agency comes in. They can do all the heavy lifting for you and work out what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing and what you should invest in and shouldn't invest in maybe. So, you know, th- that sort of mix of generalist and specialist is mm-hmm. something unique, I guess, about agencies as well, Ruth. Yeah, we talk a lot about key people okay. in this space, you know, people that can actually connect the dots but have a specialism. And yeah. I think when you think about fundamentally the work that we do as agencies and helping brands as, as media owners as well, we are in the business of people, yeah. right? And yeah. we're in the business of people in terms of understanding audiences and creating valuable experiences for them. We're also in the business of people in terms of what we as agencies bring to the table for our clients. And when you think of that as symmetry, then we have to be able to represent that group of people that we're trying to connect with equally within the agency. So we have that that collective intelligence Mm, that leads to better thinking, more creativity and better work for our clients at the end of the day. And and Vicky, thinking about, you know, from kind of the outside in view, I guess, Mm The value in in still working with agencies, you know, you look at other models like the Mm -hmm. US where culturally, you know, client and supplier do it and then the Mm -hmm. agency gets involved later, you still see value in working with the agency. Oh, yeah, completely. Completely see value in that and we will continue to have that, Mm. that dialogue. The only thing I will say is, and I think, you know, some of the great work that we've done around branded content is where we've had a relationship as well with Got the it. client. Mm. And that's not about leaving the agency out of it at all. Um, but for us, you know, and I think for any media owner that's creating content, you know, to really understand what the values are of that particular brand, you have to kind of have a relationship with them and get underneath it yeah. um, and have some immersion sessions. Um, but that's alongside the agency as well. So I think, you know, it's about trust again, really, and collaboration and sort of coming together and delivering on what the client's requirements are and everyone understanding where they can add value in that relationship. Yeah. Um, And that's really important for us. Nice. Uh, Last thing I'll leave both of you with then, starting with you, Ruth, what would you say to people who are sort of, you know, maybe not doing that degree at Bournemouth and doing something completely different, never heard of a media agency, what, what would you sort of pitch them about why you should come and work in this wonderful environment? The work can be incredibly interesting. Driving behavioral change Mm. is tough, but when you get it right, and especially when you do it with the brand's values in mind and with meaning, there's very few things that actually get to it in terms of equivalent uh, reward. The second piece is still media agencies tend to have quite a flat structure. So the accessibility to top talent is there. So if you want to learn from the best, you can do that. Uh, You just have to be... Uh, brave enough to approach them. (laughs) And then third piece for me is if you want to shape the future of media, which is 
more and more surrounding us and the internet of things is only going to make mm. it even more acute then there's no better way to actually experience it and create your own point of view on things so so for me that is both academic and practical yeah. incredibly exciting and i just couldn't think of a better place to work nice and what would you say vicky about someone sort of thinking about what they might want to go and do next why go and work in a media agency Never a dull moment. Yeah. I mean, you know, True. it is constantly adapting and changing. And for me, I, I love that. I love being in an environment where, you know, there's always new things happening, new things to learn. Um, so I think it's a really exciting place to be, really. Um, but you have to be able to, and, and Ruth touched on that, actually, you know, and what she was saying around being able to adapt, to change, having that mentality. Mm. Um I think anybody who has that, then they will flourish. Perfect. Thank you both very, very much indeed. We'll leave it there. Thank you. Well, that's all we've got time for today. But thank you to Ruth and thank you, Vicky, for joining us. If you want to watch Rick and Dan's session from Engage in full HD glory, search for IAB UK on YouTube and tap on the Engage 2017 playlist. And if you're an IAB member and you work for a media agency, a reminder that all our events are now free for you to come to. Head to iabuk.net forward slash events for the full 2018 calendar that includes Engage, Digital Britain and the IAB Nonference later this year. The next part of the podcast is dedicated to making the complex simple, boiling down complicated issues relating to privacy, standards, policy, measurement and regulation into an easy-to-swallow two-minute pill. So I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast Dee Fru, the IAB's ad tech aficionado. Dee, welcome. Hey, James. Now, I've only just got my head around ads.txt and now there's ads.cert, so um, let's get straight into it. What does ads.cert actually mean? So ads.cert is an evolution of the ads.txt protocol. Whereas ads.txt was the equivalent of being approached by somebody in the street offering you a handbag and allowing you to check whether they're authorized to sell it on behalf of the manufacturer, ads.cert is giving the buyer additional details that only the manufacturer themselves could provide them with. So things like where it was made, when it was made, what the original dimensions were. Ads.txt was about verifying the source of traffic and preventing domain spoofing, so mm. people pretending that they were selling Guardian inventory when they were not. But Ads.cert gives the buyer additional information on the individual impressions, things like the site or the app involved, the user's device ID, or the creative format involved, and then protecting all of that through cryptography so no one can tamper with the information. Wonderful. So handbags and cryptography basically is all you mm-hmm. need to know. Um, what does it mean for digital advertising? Uh, Well, one issue that it will hopefully solve altogether is uh, video content being sold when it's actually display MPUs masquerading as a video player. Now, that just hurts campaign results Mm. and erodes trust in digital. Something worth keeping in mind, though, is that demand-side platforms need to be using the latest OpenRTB 3.0 framework. Now, OpenRTB 3.0 isn't backwards compatible. There will be engineering and dev costs and delays involved, but as the new industry standard, that's not necessarily a bad thing. The more the buy-side makes traffic quality and transparency a priority, the more sense it makes for us all to be speaking the same language. And if you're listening to this, how could you find out more? Uh, You can visit the ibtechlab.com URL and head to the programmatic section. Public comments currently closed as the language is being finalised for ads.cert, but you can sign up for additional updates on the impending release through TechLab or monitor the IAB's newsletters where we'll be talking about it as it's released. In the wake of the amazing success of ads.txt adoption, currently it's 75% in the UK for Mm. the top 200 URLs, we think this is the exciting next step on giving everyone additional confidence in digital media. Wonderful. Um, Ads.cert from Dee. Thank you very much, Dee.
And as Dee said, visit iabtechlad.com to find out more. Plus, keep an eye on the IAB YouTube channel. And if you don't already, follow us on Twitter at IABUK for further ads.cert updates and lots more. This week, 67 Longacre has been caught up in an HQ frenzy. And if you've not played it, it's the trivia app taking the world and certainly the IAB by storm. Two days ago, a crack team reached the dizzy heights of question 11, only to be booted in the penultimate round. I've managed to persuade two IABers to ditch their smartphones for half an hour and come and talk to me about the various other goings on at the IAB this week. So joining me, I have Polly Raven from our membership team and IAB research extraordinaire Steph Clark, who has been busy hunting and gathering submissions for this year's digital ad spend report. So Steph, we'll start with you. Um, why is ad spend so brilliant? Well, everything's brilliant about it, obviously. Um, do you know what it is? It's such a good example of the industry working together. So we got um, we get submissions in from um, around 100 uh, media owners, ad tech providers, intermediaries, um, who all uh, submit their data directly to the study. We have really good relationships with the companies that we model as mm. well. Um, so we get a really good steer from those. And we talk to a lot of agencies as well um, to really make sure that what we're delivering is accurate. Um, so without all everyone's interest and... Um, input into the study yeah. we wouldn't be able to get the data we we do and it's a massive task isn't it this isn't just like a, an overnight thing yeah I, I really don't think there's a week of the year that i go um without working on it <laughs> and we should say actually we do ad spend twice a year we do and yeah this one is for the full year last year yeah so full year 2017 so if you're a submitter Please get your data by the 15th of February. <laughs> nice. And Polly, you're doing something slightly different. So you're busy preparing for our annual members' evening, which I see strategically is in the diary for the day after dry January ends. So how's all that going? It's going well, thanks, James. Yeah, I myself will be finishing dry January <laughs> the day of the event, which should be uh, interesting. Uh, but it's uh, just a, an informal gathering that we have every year with our members mm-hmm. um, at the start of the year. And we essentially just present our plans and projects for the year. And there's normally a quiz, there's networking, uh, we'll have a few drinks, hopefully not too many. Feels like it's going to be big on drinks this year. Oh, it has been in the past, so... Oh, oh tell, us, t- tell us some stories. You know, this is, the, this is the real reason you're on here, so... Well, we we really pull all the stops out. We like to throw in a celebrity too. Okay. So last year was um, the the event took place uh, when Tim Peake was up in space. And amazingly, we got him to call in. Um, yeah, he phenomenal. actually called in to the event live from Tim, space. Tim Peake, the astronaut from space, <laughs> called into the IB members' evening. It seems yeah. it seems almost too good to be true. It's now gone down in the office as um, <laughs> Mike's finest moment. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know, it was um, Mike Reynolds from the office pretending to be Tim Peake, which is, of course, an appalling thing to try and do um, with some of our most valued members. Um, so both of you have been soaking up the frenzy and fallout from this year's CES. So what stuff have you seen, the really crazy stuff that's sort of making you do a full body eye roll? Um, Polly, what have you seen? Uh, well, uh, funnily enough, at CES, LG unveiled a smart home robot called Chloe. Oh, okay. they've all got names, obviously. Yeah, spelled C-L-O-I. Um, and it's a little robot. It reminds me of the EDF Energy orange kind of blue oh, character, yeah, yeah. and it's white. It's it's main, meant to um, enhance your kind of kitchen impli- appliances and um, connect everything together. So it's a really cool bit of tech, um, which is artificially intelligent. Mm. But during the presentation, the robot just completely stopped working. Howler. It stopped responding and there are some very awkward moments uh, during the video recording of the event uh, where the presenter is desperately trying
trying to get it to to respond. So that was a little bit of an eye roll moment for me. It, it's bad enough when you're trying to get the tech to work <laughs> at the IAB, trying to get the PowerPoint presentation to come up. But imagine being eyes of the world on you. Oh and, yeah, social media were quick to pick up on uh, some pretty quality jokes. There are no prisoners. <laughs> um, and Steph, what about you? What's the crazy stuff you've seen? Yeah, my favourite was basically a um, a Fitbit for your pet. It's called Petmio. Um, and basically it like monitors their um, movement throughout the day and tells you how much to feed them. <laughs> Just imagine a little dog with his little puppy so eyes on a diet. <laughs> doggy, doggy diets yeah. from, from Petmio. And there must have been some stuff that is sort of tech making a difference though. Steph, what, what did you see that's sort of the good and great? Yeah, one that I really liked was, um, I think it's called Brogiers. B-R-A-G-I. Okay. Don't know how to pronounce it. Um, it's like an algorithm that maps your hearing. So if you're slightly mm. short of hearing, it kind of corrects that bit and knows which bit to correct. Um, so you can see here normally. And apparently you can go up to whispers 100 feet away. Wow. Um, so that's really cool. There are no secrets anymore, literally. <laughs> there are literally none. Um, and Polly, what about you? I think for me it was all the new kind of innovation around electric cars. So a few brands launched new models this year, including Kia and a Chinese startup called Byton. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, the cars kind of revealed, they revealed improvements in running power and battery life, as well as fancy new automated tech and safety features. But I just think I'm quite passionate about cycling in London. Mm. And ultimately, as electric cars kind of come to the fore, it just means less air pollution, which is great for a cyclist like me yeah. in London. And when we stop driving cars, we can kind of do other things on these journeys, like, well, not like emails and things like that. But yeah, well, they'll all be automated <laughs> soon. So that was uh, that was some interesting tech to come from the from the show as well. Nice. And I'll leave you with this one. Um, highest level that you've got to in HQ so far, Steph? I haven't actually played it. Everyone uh, played it in the office the other day and were very stressed and I didn't like it. <laughs> you, need, you need to get involved. And P- Polly, you must have been playing it. I have not. It's the kind of thing I'd get completely addicted to. <laughs> so I have left it and uh, instead done my job. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. I think you're probably doing the right thing. Um, thank you, Polly. Thank you, Steph. Thank you. Thank you. Now, a huge range of companies make up the IB membership, more than 1,200 in fact. So every fortnight in this part of the podcast, we interrogate one member by inviting them to spend a minute answering as many of our 10 quickfire questions as they can. Earlier this week, Facebook's Director of Agency Partnerships, Ed Couchman, popped into the nerve centre of the IB, and this is how things unfolded. So joining me here at IAB headquarters today to talk careers, ad tech and some other largely irrelevant stuff is none other than Ed Couchman from Facebook. So Ed, you know the rules. Ten questions, 60 seconds. Are you ready? It is with nervous anticipation, James, but yes, I am ready. Let's start the clock. What's the most useless piece of technology you wish you'd never bought? Oh, most recently it has to be the drone. So I had one for Christmas and once I mastered the art of flying the drone, it was a positively underwhelming experience. Favourite emoji? It's got to be the heart. Big love. How many times have you been asked if you've ever met Mark Zuckerberg? Actually, surprisingly, (laughs) very little. Apart from the time I returned to my hometown in Birmingham, where my brummy mates often think I'm in in cahoots with Mark all the time. Um, Favourite bit of corporate swag you've ever been given? I actually think last year was the fidget spinner, just for the Mm. sheer speed at which that corporate swag was actually developed, manufactured and out in market. Nice. Uh, When was the last time someone called you Edward? Actually, never, because James, (laughs) I can confess, live on the IAB podcast, (laughs) my name is Edmond. And actually, it's my mum who only refers to me as Edmond, and that was this morning when I spoke to her. 
What an exclusive. That, that, that's not pre-prepared. Uh, the thin, rectangular-shaped, coconut-flavoured biscuit with rounded bumps on the edges and lightly covered with a scattering of large sugar crystals. Nice or nice? As an f- official biscuit fan <laughs> and being raised in the West Midlands in the late 1970s, I can confirm with some authority it's most definitely nice. Very authoritative. Uh, the Instagram filter you use most often? <sighs> I think I might go for two, James. The first one is definitely lo-fi. Yeah. And the second, I think, is going to be Lark. It is Lark. Fantastic. Uh, what's your Uber rating, Ed? Oh, I like to think it's high. I haven't checked. I'm going to go for 4.8, 4.75, okay. something like that. Good citizen. And lastly, who's your industry hero? Well, sitting in IAB HQ, it can only, it has to be, in fact, the founding father of the IAB UK, Danny Meadowclues. Boom. Ed, thank you very much indeed. Thank you for having me, James. It's been a pleasure. And that brings us to the end of episode two. Thanks again to our sponsor, Spotify, and of course to you for listening. We hope you've picked up something, even if it's only that Ed Couchman's real name isn't actually Edward. Thanks again for listening. Please subscribe, rate us and tell us what you thought. And don't forget to download our next episode in a fortnight, which is available in all the usual places you get your podcasts from. If you want any more information about what the IAB does or how you can get in touch, find us online at iabuk.net or at iabuk on Twitter and Instagram. Or you can email us, podcast at iabuk.net. Thanks for listening. The IAB Podcast from SNK Studios.